Greetings, beloveds, and welcome to The Word is Resistance, a weekly podcast hosted by Showing Up for Racial Justice. In this podcast, we explore the readings from the Christian Bible assigned for the week in the Revised Common Lectionary, focusing on how they are providing us tools to resist white supremacy's culture of domination, exploitation, and oppression, and how these texts can inspire new decolonial, anti-racist, and liberatory visions and practices to build a new world. On this Ash Wednesday, we begin a Lent series that seeks to release us from the anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, and supersessionist interpretations of Scripture that are so often employed to make sense of the Gospel readings in this season. We hope that each of our podcasts this Lent will offer new entry points and invitations to a liberatory, decolonial vision of resistance and flourishing that is the Jesus story. I'm Dr. Sharon Fenema, and I serve as the curator of Join the Movement Toward Racial Justice, an anti-racism initiative of the United Church of Christ. I use she and her pronouns, and am recording this podcast from my home, which rests on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Ohlone people who continue to lay down prayers and raise up life in this ground in what is known as Oakland, California. I am honored to contribute to this podcast, which is geared toward white Christians like me who are searching for ways to resource and expand our capacity for racial justice. Like many of us, I have been deeply formed by interpretations of scripture that reinforce colonizing paradigms white supremacy, extraction, and domination. In this podcast, we struggle to both recognize and reimagine what these sacred texts might have for us and how different interpretations can form us for racial justice, equity, and accountability. As white Christians, we have particular work to do in resisting these logics of supremacy, which we benefit from and are implicated in, to serve a more just future for all. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Hardy family for letting us use this song for our podcast. As we begin our exploration of the scripture readings for today, I want to invite us to ground ourselves with a prayer for reconciliation by Padraig Otwama from the Daily Prayer Book of the Corimila Community. Where there is pain, there is separation. Where there is separation, there is story. And where there is story, there is understanding and misunderstanding, listening and not listening. May we, separated peoples, estranged strangers, unfriended families, divided communities, turn toward each other and turn toward our stories with understanding and listening, with argument and acceptance, with challenge, change, and consolation, because if God is to be found, God will be found connecting in the space 
between. Amen. We find ourselves revisiting this week the same scriptures that come up each year in the lectionary for Ash Wednesday. From prophetic calls to repentance and penitential psalms to gospel admonitions about how to pray rightly, these texts set us off on our Lenten journey, the wilderness pathways we hope will bring us into deeper relationship with the Holy. So let us open ourselves to the Spirit's calling as we dwell with this passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 21, right in the heart of Jesus' so-called Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Creator in heaven. So whenever you give alms, Do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Creator who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Creator who is in secret. And your Creator, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites, for they mark their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Creator who is in secret. And your Creator who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the community of interpretation I grew up in, this scripture passage would likely have been presented as an opportunity to consider how following in the pathways of Jesus were distinct from the practices and pathways of Judaism. As a church community, we were deeply invested in a supersessionist narrative that described a Jesus who was the fruition of Jewish law. As such, followers of Jesus were called not to legalistic displays of devotion, but rather to a spiritual, intellectual understanding 
lived out in humility and service. Anti-Semitic notions of Jewish people as hypocrites and as those wrongly invested in empty rituals and the appearance of piety, not to mention resource hoarding, compared to Christians whose service was rooted in faith and spiritual commitment, were part and parcel of this theology. Ash Wednesday provided us the opportunity each year to remember that we were called to follow Jesus, who was showing us a new, more evolved way to be in relationship with the Holy One, our Creator. We knew we were Christians, in part, because we were not Jewish. But what the community I grew up in failed to recognize was that for the Jesus of the Gospels, as Reverend Ann Dunlap puts it, the problem was not Jews or Judaism, it was Rome. As a poor Jew subject to the oppressive violence of Roman colonization, Jesus is building on a history of resistance to Rome and creating a community aligned with the power of love rather than the love of power. So what happens to our interpretation of this passage if we refocus our attention and take as a starting point that the Gospels are not a narrative of Jesus versus the Jews, but rather God's love challenging Roman power? In the Roman-occupied land where Jesus and his comrades lived and ministered, the majority of wealth and power was held by 2% of the population. These were the ones who had access to the great Pax Romana, the peace that came from privilege, while, as biblical and liturgical scholar Melinda Quizick puts it, the 98% were oppressed politically, economically, theologically, and militarily. Rome told conquered people that they brought peace and prosperity. What they really brought was oppression, extreme poverty for the many, and wealth for the few. Maybe this is the hypocrisy that the author of Matthew has in view. Maybe we can imagine Matthew's Jesus walking down Herod's marble-paved main street and saying, Whenever you give gifts, don't throw yourself a parade like the Romans do. Or, don't make a show of giving up something inconsequential out of your plenty and privilege like the Romans do. The kinds of supersessionist and anti-Semitic interpretations of scripture that I grew up with developed out of the elision of the Jesus movement with Roman imperial power in the early Christian church as, after Constantine, Christianity becomes the religion of the empire. So the strategy of deflecting Jesus' resistance to Rome and making it into a conflict between Jesus and the Jews served to align Christianity with empire. We know that one of the strategies of empire is to invest in separation, in binary opposition. For an empire to maintain power, there must be an inferior, dehumanized group over which that power can be rightly exercised. This othering creates superiority, which then warrants violence and exploitation, according to the powerful. What's more, by fracturing communities, pitting oppressed groups against each other, the imperial power and privilege of the few is maintained. As Christians aligned themselves with Rome, Roman imperial power, the Jews became the inferior other, 
against which Christians could define themselves as superior. These same strategies and theologies became the foundations of white supremacy, the enslavement of Africans, and colonial indigenous genocide in the United States. The logics of binary opposition, the investment of empire and separation, have played a huge role in how we understand identity formation and cultural expression. In some ways, as inheritors of this colonizing framework, we imagine that we fundamentally come to know who we are by determining who we are not. I understand myself to be a woman in part because I am not a man. I know myself as white because I am not black. I am Christian because I am not Jewish, on and on. And when we analyze the intersection of the logics of binary opposition and the logics of supremacy, we recognize that on one side of each of these binaries, there is power and privilege. Our scripture passage from Matthew seems to reinforce these notions. Even if we reject the deflection of Jesus' critique from Rome to Judaism, we still end up with a, you'll know yourselves as Jesus followers if you're not like those others, those misdirected fakers, those hypocrites. But I think a new vision comes into view when we read this text in the context of ashes. While ashes may have varying amounts of other elements and minerals, depending on what was burned to create them, the main chemical component of ash is carbon. Carbon is, in fact, what makes the ashes we use to mark our skin on Ash Wednesday black. Carbon is an essential element of all forms of life on Earth. From plants to animals to humans, from soil to oceans, even stars, Carbon is a primary component, a shared interdependent source of life. Whether life forms take in carbon to help manufacture food or release carbon as part of respiration, the intake and output of carbon is a component of all plant and animal life, says National Geographic. Not only that, carbon is also the main component of your DNA, which is part of the reasons why humans share 99.9% .9 of the same genetic code and share large percentages of DNA with other living things. Perhaps we can imagine the ashes we receive at the beginning of our Lenten journeys as a reminder that we humans are not only a part of one another, but share life with all that is. Maybe when we hear ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we are meant to hear as well, you are fundamentally connected to all that lives and dies in this world. So when I read this passage from Matthew in the context of ashes, I wonder if what Jesus is offering us is not an identity formed in opposition to another, but a vision of a spiritual life and community identity formed by a unity of purpose and practice, where belief is connected to action, is connected to values, is connected to ritual. What Jesus is pointing towards is a coherence and integrity that could bring down empires. If we invest our treasures and our hearts in this interdependence, in this fundamental solidarity, 
in our essential connection to all that lives and divest from separation and opposition, then a new kingdom is being born in our midst. May it be so. As you begin this Lenten season, I hope you lean in and listen to the call that these ashes are offering you. It is a call that resists separation and superiority, that dismantles colonial logics and anti-Semitism. It is a call that builds solidarity and knows that our liberations are bound up with each other's. What do these ashes, this fundamental carbon connection, call you to give up or to take on this Lent? How is the shared interdependent source of life inviting you to deepen your relationship to the holy? What blessing awaits you in this sacred blackness that makes its home in flesh and fern, ocean and ostrich, soil and salamander? And how are you called to bless others with and through it? How will you journey toward interdependent freedom this Lent? Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. And finally, a huge thanks to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens. As we close our time together, I offer these words of blessing, adapted from Jan Richardson's blessing for Ash Wednesday. So let the ashes come as beginning and not as end, the first sign, but not the final. Let them rest upon you as invocation and invitation, and let them take you the way that ashes know to go. May they mark you with the memory of connection to all that is, to all that lives and dies in this world. See what shimmers amid their darkness, what endures within their dust. See how they draw us toward the mystery of who we are, of who we can become together.